The following message is from the 2018 IBCD Summer Institute, Loving Wayward Souls. This topic actually, the things I've written have been often, or usually would start out actually like as a talk at a counseling conference where I was dealing with cases in real counseling where I didn't know there was anything written or anything others have done. And so trying to study, with believing in the sufficiency of Scripture, you believe the Bible speaks authoritatively and helpfully to everything that comes along. And so uh, the Lord, a lot of it was through Elise Fitzpatrick getting me involved in writing, and we wrote about teenage rebellion, and because I had a lot of cases like that for a while, many years ago, parents dealing with teenagers, and uh, was, that was uh, when good kids make bad choices. And then we wrote together, You Never Stop Being a Parent, which is the problems adult well, parents have with their adult kids. And we, I did uh, Parenting is More Than a Formula, dealing with issues that you can't make your kids turn out exactly like you want. It's not like baking a cake where you just follow the instructions, it all pops out just right. Against a lot of people who are teaching a kind of parental determinism. And, and this topic is flipping it on its head, where instead of talking about wayward children, I want to talk about wayward parents. Because there are a lot of adult children who are seeking to walk with the Lord who are having big problems with their parents, misbehaving. And I believe the Bible speaks to that as well. And even in recent months, I've had opportunity to try to help uh, the church we're attending in North Carolina has a lot of young families in their 30s who are first generation Christians who are trying to figure out how to relate to their parents who are involved in all kinds of stuff. And so we are seeking to study what the scriptures say about that. So let me begin with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its beauty, its power, and its sufficiency. And that when we face problems we'd hardly ever thought of before, that your word has answers and help for us. We pray now uh, late in the day with much having been already heard that you would make us attentive to your voice in your scriptures and that it would be of benefit to us. And as people are facing either personal situations or as we are facing uh, helping others through difficult situations, we pray that you would give us wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the kinds of situations I've seen over the last few years that have made me interested in helping adult children of wayward parents is in some cases you have uh, people whose parents have in the past mistreated them in terrible ways. And now you're trying to figure out, how do I relate to my father who was angry and drunk and beat me instead of a godly discipline? How do I relate to my mother when she leaves my father for no biblical reason and moves in with another woman in a lesbian relationship? Uh, How do I deal with the fact that I I want to leave my kids with my parents, but they won't follow any of the rules? I tell them. They feed them things they're not allowed to eat. They let them watch things they're not allowed to watch. Uh, What do I do? Uh, Have my parents messed me up with the way they raised me? And am I going to be a bitter, abusive person because of what they did to me? Or my parents are trying to control my life. That, you know, we, we can't, they're telling us, you know, where to live, what job to get, how to raise our kids. They just will not leave us alone. Um, Parents in financial trouble, just gambling, drunk, hoarding, getting into debt. Parents who should not be driving anymore, (laughs) (laughs) who shouldn't be even living on their own anymore, and they won't listen. And it really fits well with Dave's book, I hope you've bought a copy of Dave's book as you listen to it about letting go. And that sometimes you have to realize, just like you can't control your kids, you can't control your parents either. In fact, the parents are actually harder to control in some ways. So positively, uh, talk about you know, what does the Bible say that we as adult children have in terms of our responsibility to our parents. And my position is the Bible teaches that we are to honor them, but we are no longer to obey them. When you become an adult, they no longer have authority over you. You have the fifth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 12, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. 
And Paul quotes this in Ephesians 6 when he speaks to children to obey their parents. And this is the first commandment with a promise. I think it's remarkable when you look at uh, Luke chapter 2. Jesus, who was a perfect child, who had imperfect sinful parents. And yet it says in Luke 2 that he continued in subjection to them. And uh, that he, there, but there is an exception to his subjection to them. And this we see, actually it was in my daily Bible reading this week in Acts 5.29, I think it was today, when the apostles were told by those in authority no longer to preach, what did they say in Acts 5.29? We must obey God rather than men. So parental authority, even over a small child or a teenager, never is to the extent they can tell you to sin. That can create some complicated situations if the parent says not to go to church or to go to a cult or different things. But that's not my main topic now. If there's time for questions, you can ask me that. But um, when children are minors, they should obey their parents unless they're told to sin. But independent adults are no longer in subjection to their parents. The New Testament words in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3 for children obey your parents is talking about children minors, not 30-year-olds. Now, most everybody would agree, Genesis 2.24, for this cause a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And, you know, in our circles of Christians who believe the Bible, there's been kind of a patriarchy emphasis in some circles, which can be appropriate, but sometimes can go too far. There are some who would say, yeah, once you're married, you're no longer to your parents' authority. But even if you're 35 years old, I remember hearing Bill Gothard at a seminar when I was young, you know, describing a 40-year-old who wanted to get married, but her, his mother didn't want him to or thing. No, you got to obey your parents. I think that's unbiblical. But even he would have agreed that when you get married, you know, you're supposed to be on your own. That doesn't always happen either, as we'll see. Um, and there are problems. There are other cultures. I've met people who live in other countries say, no, even when I get married, I still obey my father. I said, in our country, there are subcultures, sometimes of homeschool people. We were homeschool people. I'm not prejudiced against homeschool people. We thought that was the best choice. We commend others who do other things. But there were some in that that kind of wanted to create a multi-generational patriarchy there. They get married. They're independent. Um, but I also believe the Bible teaches that when a child becomes an adult, they are of age. And at that point, they're responsible for their own choices and are no longer absolute subjection to their parents, even if they are still single. And I have a few passages. One thing I think just illustrates how this was even true in New Testament culture is in John 9, where the man who was born blind, and now he sees, and the Jews go to his parents who question and question them. Verse 19, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? And his parents answered him and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And I think what they're saying there is reflecting not just what was in that culture, but I think it reflects how things operate in the way God has made things, is that as a single adult, the relationship with the parent changes, and he now speaks for himself. An example of that in the Old Testament, it, it requires a bit of an inference, but in Numbers 32, you have the sad case of the, when the spies went into the land and remember that Joshua and Caleb had faith, let's go. And the other 10 spies were unbelieving, it's too hard. And when the Lord pronounces judgment, he says in verse 11 of Numbers 32, none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Okay, here's my inference. You're 22 years old. And the spies come, and you hear Joshua and Caleb, you hear the unbelieving spies, your parents say, we are not going into that land. We are with the ten spies here who are afraid. What should you do? You should obey God and not your parents. And you speak for yourself, and you say, Mom and Dad, I love you, but I'm with Joshua and Caleb. And if not, you're under God's judgment, and you're going to die in the wilderness because you did not exercise faith as an adult. Those younger, some of them could enter the land. And so that concept is there. Another 
and I, I can't go all through these exhaustively or I won't get through everything, but I think it's significant in 1 Corinthians 7 that Paul talks about the single adult. And we, we ought to look at it at least momentarily. But the single adult in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, some people have the gift of singleness. Some people should get married. Better to marry than to burn. That's most of us. But when, what's the purpose of the life of the single adult according to 1 Corinthians 7? Serve not his parents, but the Lord. The premise isn't you stay single so you can hang around with your parents the rest of your life. <laughs> the purpose is, in verse 32, I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how I may please the Lord. The one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how I may please his, his wife. And that was the life Paul was living. I don't know what his parents thought if they were still alive. I, I imagine they might not have been that thrilled by his career choice at this point in his life. But... Again, my understanding would be that as a single adult, ordinarily, one is, again, you respect your parents, but you make your own choices. And I've seen sad cases where parents have tried to prevent their adult children from legitimate marriage choices or other choices in life for unbiblical reasons and simply saying, I had this authority over you, you must obey me. I put a promise ring on your finger when you were 12, and you said you wouldn't marry without my permission. And now I don't like the guy you're going to marry because I'm a Presbyterian and he's a Baptist or I'm an Arminian and he's a Calvinist or whatever, or I'm a Muslim and he's a Christian, whatever the reason may be. I don't know if Muslims do promise rings, but, um, <laughs> and over-controlling parents, you know, both in Ephesians and Colossians says the fathers should not exasperate your, their children. And I see sadly among well-meaning Christians and, and Christians when our children are small, we are more controlling than the world, and there's an appropriateness to that, right? Because the world just watch whatever you want to watch, do whatever you want to do. Here's an iPhone, here's unlimited internet access, you know, good luck. We would say, no, we're going to protect you from certain things, but then sometimes the Christians have a hard time allowing their children to become adults and start expressing their freedom as adults, and sooner or later it's going to happen anyway. So, as young adults, that children have no longer under the authority of their parents. There, are, there is a unique situation, and some of that is in the book Elise and I wrote on uh, parenting, you never stop being a parent, and that is that if an adult child is dependent upon his parents, then the relationship is a bit different because, quite frankly, if you're dependent financially on anybody, they're going to have some say in your life as a condition for whatever you're doing for them. If you get a scholarship at a school and they, give you, they expect you to fulfill the condition of the scholarship to make certain grades or be on the football team or whatever. I would also say in general, when parents, when adult children continue to live with their parents, there are going to be challenges in the best of circumstances. When married adult children live with their parents, there are almost certainly going to be significant challenges. I can't say from the Bible, thou shalt never do that. I can say, watch out. Um, and then sometimes this, again, among the problems is there's just, if a young adult is living under your parents' roof, financially dependent upon them, even if, if they're paying for the roof you're under, even if it's not their roof right now, they have a right to have expectations of you beyond what they would if you were completely independent, because you're financing their lifestyle. This fits a lot in with what Dave was describing as well, is that we, part of letting go sometimes is not to continue to finance a rebellion and enable a sinful lifestyle. But that would be true anywhere you're living. I mean, anybody who, if they let you rent a room in their house or an apartment complex lets you rent an apartment from them, there are always conditions in the real world, and this fits so well with what Dave is talking about, is that nobody in the real world is going to let you have all the privileges of living somewhere, eating, whatever it is, without also taking on the accompanying responsibilities of paying rent, doing work. And so... In a situation of parent of an adult child, there can be legitimate reasons to do that, save money, further education. You know, it's not wrong to do it, but it can be dangerous, and sometimes it can uh, stunt growth. Parents are free to set conditions. Now, some of those conditions, I think, would be very wise. Uh, if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. You know, if you want to live here, you will work as hard as the adults who live in the house who provide the roof. You're going to, you know work hard, live according to certain moral standards. You've you got to negotiate that together. 
Sometimes parents are unreasonable and they continue to treat a 25-year-old who's fairly responsible like it's a 14-year-old who is irresponsible and that can be unnecessarily provocative. The more common problem is that the 25-year-old wants all the freedoms of a 25-year-old with the responsibility level of a 12-year-old and then they get mad at the parents like Dave has been describing. So you, you try to work it out. Um, it's actually, some of you may have seen the case of the the lawsuit, yeah, that has been all over the news about the 30-year-old, I think, whose parents had to legally evict him because he's living at home. He won't fulfill any of their conditions, and they had to go to court to get him kicked out. Uh, the reason that's in the news is it resonates with a whole lot of people. Not many people have gotten exactly there, but there are a lot of people not far from that. Um, so again, if you as a young adult are living with your parents, there should be respect, there should be gratitude, there should be help, integrity. And now that you're an adult, you know, when you're 15, 14, you can't just get up and leave. You've got to stay there, really. You've got very few choices. Now you're 25, you can go wherever you like. There's, they can't make you stay. You, you can leave if you can find a better deal, but they can make you leave if you don't meet their expectations. Uh, there should be a reason for you to be there. Um, and again, so there's... The, there are problems with parents micromanaging. There are problems with young adults extending their teenage years into their 30s. Um, there's problems with young adults with fornication and laziness and not being motivated to get a real job and get married. So, and then, but the, so obedience is no longer required. More is expected if you're still a dependent, but the Bible does still teach that you should honor them and respect them. Proverbs 23, 22, listen to your father who begot you. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Now, when she is old, you'll be probably a young adult. You should still show that respect, and we'll talk about ways to do that. A very significant passage is Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus applies the fifth of the Ten Commandments to adult children. Isn't that amazing? This is how the Bible speaks to everything. He says the fifth commandment applies to adult children in relationship to their parents. Um, this is where the Pharisees and scribes are challenging Jesus about not following the tradition of the elders and washing. But then he says in verse 3, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that I would help you with has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this you have invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So Jesus is saying, and this <coughs> relates, you know, my mom and my in-laws are still living. Most of us probably have parents living that I'm responsible to make sure they're taken care of with their material needs. Uh, this is pre-Social Security, uh, but Social Security isn't that much to live on, is it? That we should be concerned. It's part of our responsibility to make sure that our, our parents are, are cared for. And actually, I think especially in our culture, where I see how Christians really differ on this, it's not just ensuring they're not in abject poverty and starving, but parent, our elderly parents have far more need than merely our money. That may be, in some cases, the last thing they need. They need our, our love, our attention, our time, and to, to honor them in, in, those, in those ways. And then sometimes it is to make sure their material needs are met. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul talks about widows. And he says if she has children or even grandchildren, and by the way, this includes the wife. So it's a granddaughter. And this actually is an interesting view of the, the marriage. It's not just the husband who decides whether he's going to help his mother-in-law or not. The, it says if, if it's you know, your wife, your mother-in-law, your wife should have the right to help her mother who's a widow. And it's her responsibility under God. And, and, if, you don't, and if you don't care for your widowed mother, you are worse than an unbeliever, worse than an infidel. It's, again, a shameful thing. Even the pagans do better than that. And this is something that Christians really excel in. I'm sure in your churches, like in the church I was in before, the one I'm in now, one unique testimony of believers is we're caring for our old people. In some cases, it's even the believing adult grandchildren caring for grandma when 
the parents won't do it. And you know, bringing them into our homes and seeing them, and, and you know, it's not always wrong to put them in a facility, but avoiding that and making sacrifices, and it cramps our lifestyle to, you know, it's hard to take care of somebody who's, you know, Alzheimer's. We have friends where we live, and they've got, they had both parents living one past, the other one has Alzheimer's. He's difficult. But that's you know, sometimes obedience to the word of God. The fifth commandment requires some sacrifice. It's not all about us. Um, so it's not just money. It's investing in the relationship. And uh, it's interesting for us, our family's mostly in Texas. We've been West Coast 30 years, East Coast. For that, we're in Saudi Arabia. So what do you do with your vacation? You got two weeks a year or whatever. Well, you honor your parents. You go see them. Caroline's smiling at me because we're going to see her parents in a week, and that's just what I should do. <laughs> I, won't say, I won't say more about this. This is being recorded. Um, so you, you go see them. You uh, call them. You know, I would have a habit when my grandparents were still living each week to call each grandparent and to try to make effort to go travel to see them, especially when they were becoming ill and weaker. And... Uh, you know, frequent phone calls and things. Just this is part of fulfilling the fifth commandment for us is not just to care if they're abject poverty, but they're lonely. There are a lot of people who are older who are very lonely. Their friends are dying off. Their family's all busy doing other stuff. They feel like the world has passed them by. Carolyn and I have actually got some friends who are quite a bit older. We've seen, and it's amazing to think that these people would ever be lonely, but they seem to be lonely when we go see them. And you'd never imagine these people would be lonely. Um, it means sometimes sending her to be with her parents in Texas when I can't go and money it costs and that's part of it. And then also seeking their counsel in Proverbs 1. You know, Proverbs is all about parents instructing children, but I don't think it ends when you're 21. Hear my son your father's instruction do not forsake your mother's teaching. In the biggest decisions we've had to make in life, and the, the two I can remember both had to do with the last couple major moves we voluntarily made. In 1981, we were invited to go to Saudi Arabia. And we spent a long time. We've been married two years. We're in our early 20s. We talked to our parents and got their counsel. Then a few years ago, we got invited to go to Charlotte, North Carolina, and we sought their counsel again. They didn't dictate to us what we should do, but it's just one way. They love to be asked, right? They like to be asked if you're having trouble baking a cake or fixing your car, right? That's an honor to them. You don't pretend, but I'm plenty ignorant. I've got plenty of questions I could ask. Um, so you, you honor them in these ways. One problem that sometimes has come up in my counseling is that sometimes I'll see a situation where a wife is embittered against her in-laws, and she tells her husband, I forbid you from going to see your parents. I forbid you from calling your parents because they've mistreated me. And there sometimes is mistreatment that has happened. But this is, I'll go back to I must obey God rather than men. Even if I've seen the other case where you've got an abusive husband who tries to keep his wife away from her family or her parents. Your authority does not extend that far. Ephesians 5, 22, submit to your husband does not extend to him telling you to disobey the fifth commandment by neglecting your parents. And so I think you, you want to do so peaceably. There are all kinds of complications here where I've had a guy complain, yeah, my wife spends more time with her mother than with me. Genesis 2.24, you do leave and cleave. And so if, if you've made your parents too important, that could be a problem as well. But I've seen situations in which one spouse or the other will almost blackmail or on the other hand bribe. The other saying, I will do this for you if you won't see your parents for a month because I'm so sick of them or you won't let the kids see them. Even your spouse should not be able to keep you from doing what the Bible says in terms of showing honor and respect to your parents. And I hope, I hope when you hear that you think, that's the craziest thing. I hope I never see it. I hope never any of you have seen that. I've seen it more than once. So it exists. But then now we get to the difficult part that adult children often face significant challenges dealing with their parents. So I'm going to give you some general principles and talk about some circumstances. Um, the first principle is the Lord comes first. Uh, tomorrow morning, I'm going to spend some time in 1 Samuel 2.29. 
where uh, Eli, it says he honored his sons above God. And we're going to spend some time in the Gospels where Jesus says some things that can be kind of disturbing. But when you get into real situations, you're thankful for the clarity of the Word of God. Just as one is Matthew 10, 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And so the Lord comes first. And I'm not going to dwell on that. Otherwise, I could sleep in in the morning and not give my talk. That's my topic. Um, But sometimes your parents, your family will pressure you to put them ahead of God. And you must obey God rather than men. And then your marriage comes next. You've left father and mother. You're joined to your spouse. Again, that does not mean your spouse can keep you entirely from your parents. That would be sinfully inappropriate under any but the most extreme circumstances. But you've got to realize, you keep in mind always, there are often conflicts. The parents are pressuring you to do what they want, be under their control. And sometimes you just want to make peace. Okay, let's appease them. Your responsibility is to your own immediate family that left and cleaved. And sometimes that will involve disappointing your parents. So you can't just capitulate to pressure. The question has to be first, what would God have me to do? And then part of answering that question is, what is best for my family, my immediate family? And sometimes that will make your parents unhappy. And when you get down to Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, but... Some families say, I think we need to have some time with our little family and we can't make everybody completely happy. And sometimes it's much more difficult than that. Another general principle, Romans 12, 18 says, as far as is possible with you, be at peace with all men. And Caroline in her counseling often uses one of the diagrams, I think maybe on the YBCD website, of a circle of responsibility, meaning these are the things I can control, these are the things I can't control, or these are the things I have influence over, these are the things I don't have influence over. Um, and so sometimes your parents are going to do stuff. And again, this is where it fits so old Dave's book. Sometimes you'll say, I can't stand what they're doing. But you have no power to stop it. And so you don't think they should be driving anymore, but the government won't take away their license. Or you think they're not safe living at home, and she leaves the burner on and the candle on all night. And you know, different stuff going on. The door's unlocked and they're not, the neighborhood that was real nice in 1950 when they bought the house ain't so great anymore. And uh, you can't control those things. You know, dad's going to the casino and, you know, blowing his retirement and mortgaging the house. And, you know, mom's leaving dad and is changing genders. I mean, it's, it's like watching two trains coming at each other at 60 miles an hour And sometimes you can't stop the trains. And just to realize that you do what you're responsible to do, but you can't control them. And actually, they can't control you either. Um, And so sometimes you have to let go. Sometimes, you know, Galatians 6, 7, that what someone sows, they will reap. Sometimes you have to let them reap what they sowed. You'll have to, again, the prodigal parent who is gambling, drunk, immoral, foolish, hoarding. You can try to appeal to them, but you can't make them do stuff. I was actually observing a counseling case recently where a woman in my generation went to talk to her elderly parents and really concerned about the dad, totally unfit to drive. Well, a day later, dad winds up landing the car over the neighbor's wall into their house. How do you think mom and dad felt about my friend at that point? They're afraid of the three words, I, for I told you so, right? It actually made them more resentful of her because she was right. Um, so you have to be cautious there. You, you, you may have to let go of your kids, I mean, of your parents the way that some parents have to let go of their kids. Also realizing that the root problem may not just be their actions, but their lostness. If they're exhibiting the deeds of the flesh, if they're drunk, misspending money, the problem is not fixed by moral reformation. They need to be converted. 
And sometimes they may not, they may have professed to be believers and you're realizing by what's happening, by their being enslaved to certain sin, that they are like sheep going astray because in their case, they're really lost and you can't always rescue them. In, in 1 Corinthians 6, when Paul is describing how you know, the people who will not inherit the kingdom of God, and the thieves, covetous, idolaters, adulterers, you know, all this long list of, of people, the reason they're acting that way is because they are lost. And they need to be saved. But then the other general principle is you keep loving them. That Dave's done a great job with that as well. You find ways to love them without enabling. So what do you do? Okay, one thing would be some of us just look back on the past. Think, wow. My childhood was hard. My dad was an angry man. My dad didn't say I love you. My mom didn't protect me. I'm not just speaking of myself. I'm speaking like a counselor. You know. My mom didn't protect me from my dad. My mom didn't protect me from my uncle who sexually abused me. Uh, my dad abandoned the family. And we had a hard time. You may even wonder, well, you know, I've read somewhere that if your parents are abusive, that you'll be an abuser. And, you know, I find myself getting angry. It just reminds me of my dad. Um, am I going to be like that? And, and for some of those questions, I love 1 Peter chapter 1.18. If you want to look, I think it would help you to set your eyes on it for just a moment. Because it's just... It's a reminder, again, this is where the Bible does what only God can do, right? The Bible has truth that nobody in common grace through psychology could ever dig out of a hole like I've just described. But then he says in verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. This is such good news. Your parents were an influence on your life, and they may have been a bad influence. Actually, all of us had parents who were a bad influence, right? <laughs> Hebrews 12 says, they all disciplined as it seemed best to them, and the implication is, and it was all imperfect, and God's the one who's the perfect Father who disciplines us. But what Peter is saying is that you, I mean, Peter's original readers, who knows what their way of life might have been in terms of paganism and all the gross things that have been going on with overt idolatry and immorality, but when you become a Christian, you have been rescued and redeemed from that. It no longer, it's not determinative for you. If your parents were angry and abusive, Christ has redeemed you from that. And you, as a new creature in Christ, can live a new life. Your parents can't wreck you. They can be a negative influence. But in the gospel, as a new creation, you can overcome that. And that's very hopeful. You have a Savior who sympathizes with you, Hebrews 2, Hebrews 4, and he helps you. In, in the suffering you've gone through, the temptation you've experienced. Uh, you can overlook their past sins, many of them. Maybe there's some things from the past you'll need to confront. That My last session was on church discipline, and there may be situations where it's appropriate. We'll address that a little bit later if we have time. Um, and some sins may have consequences in the sense that if a relative sexually abused you or your siblings, that was going to affect your relationship with that person for the rest of your life. If God were to save them, bring them to repentance, it would still have some effect on your relationship. And it, it could even break the relationship. Um, another passage that has moved me a lot, and it'll also be referenced in the morning, is uh, Psalm 27, verse 10. He says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Isn't that beautiful? That even if your parents have failed you in some of the worst possible ways, that God is with you and he will help you. And what a blessing that he saved you and, and brought you out of that. Um, God is the perfect father. Um, we pray our father at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. I love how Paul describes his own relationship with the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2. He was like a mother to them, and he was like a father to them, a tender mother, a loving father. And I know for myself, with an unbelieving father, it meant so much to me to have men in the church when I was a teenager and God saved me, to have fathers in the faith and people who were that kind of example to me. 
and to be thankful. Actually, one guy who was much a father to, in the faith to me just a couple weeks ago uh, went to be with the Lord, but had much to be thankful for in his life. Um, now dealing with some particular problems. Um, what if your parents are always fighting each other? Uh, Proverbs 26, 17, like one who takes a dog by the ears is one who passes by and meddles in strife not belonging to him. Do everything you can to stay out of it, seems to be the wisdom of Proverbs 26, doesn't it? And sometimes you'll have parents, they're bickering, they're fighting, they can't agree about money, they can't agree about facts, they can't, I think as far as possible, a lot of times you need to stay out of it. Sometimes it's much worse than bickering. You have, I mean, some of us have seen parents who have divorced, separated. Um, Sometimes after the divorce or separation, they get involved with somebody else. It's really creepy to have your mom or your dad with somebody else. It's even more creepy if they're not getting married. It's three times creepy if it's somebody of the same gender and they've gone into that lifestyle and people have experienced, all believers have experienced all those things. Um, one point I said, if you've given a pretty good testimony of your faith up until now, without you saying a lot, they already know what you think, Right? You don't need to berate them and lecture them and tell them how wrong you think they are. I think you can express your thoughts once or twice and that will probably be sufficient and they will feel plenty judged by you no matter how kindly you say it and they'll get the message. Uh, you, you, it's appropriate to let them know where you stand but again, their sin doesn't mean you end the relationship. Their problem is probably their lostness, not their behavior, not their morality. Just as Dave was describing, how can I show love to this person without enabling sin or compromising truth? And again, there are complex decisions in terms of how do I apply these principles? How do I decide who to eat Christmas dinner with when I've got now multiple sets of in-laws that not just one set's enough for most of us. And now I've got two sets of in-laws and they're all mad if I don't do what they want. You're not going to make everybody happy. You've got to be considerate of the impact it could have on your own kids. And so you need wisdom. You just try the best you can to do that which is best you think is pleases God, best for your family, and you're not infallible. And there's not always this is the right answer. Just make sure your answer is not clearly a sinful one and not a selfish one. Um, another issue that's come up quite a bit is financial help. You know, Matthew 15 says... Whatever help I would have given to you, I've given to the Lord. It's an excuse not to care for your parents. And Jesus said that's very sinful. Uh, Paul says it's worse than an infidel. But real case where a man marries a woman from a different culture and her parents are probably in their early 50s. And when they get married, the parents suddenly quit their jobs, move to where their daughter and new husband is and move in with them. And in their culture, now mom and dad can live off of new son-in-law in their two-bedroom condo and that they should start popping out babies and mom will help take care of the babies and dad will hang out. That's not what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 15. <laughs> uh, it's helping people in widows in desperate need, widow or Parents who aren't physically capable of earning for themselves, not people who just don't want to work. Paul addresses the people who won't want to work. If someone will not work, neither shall he eat. So financial help is given based upon legitimate need. The other big problem is foolishness and irresponsibility, which has come up far more than I would have liked it to, where you have sometimes, it's often where there's been a divorce and you've got one parent who is addicted to drugs, alcohol, can't keep a job, um, gambling, getting into all kinds of debt. I will say, do not co-sign for their debt, right? Proverbs says that. Better, you, why have your bed snatched out from underneath you? Um, parents who keep wasting their money on get-rich-quick schemes. Sometimes it's more subtle. You just see they're, they're living the good life. They're going on cruises and vacations and buying fancy cars they can't afford. And you're saying, well, they're 62 now. They have nothing saved. They keep refinancing their house. Soon they won't be able to work anymore. And then what happens? It's, yeah, you're, <laughs> and you'll have t tough choices to make. And you can say, I mean, you can, you can try to say this, you know, you thought about this, but you can't make them stop doing that. And it's kind of like 
you know, those of us in the middle, we've got adult kids on this side, we've got aging parents on that side. You may find yourself, you saw the two trains coming together, and now that there's been a crash, there you are picking up the pieces and trying to minimal, you know, do what is necessary to keep them alive, even though you saw it coming. Um, but you, the help you offer, I would say, should be limited and on kind of your terms, not necessarily theirs. They don't have the right. It's just like the prodigal child who says, you must help us this way, this amount, da-da-da. Uh, if they move in with you, I think now you're the head of the household, and they live under your rules, and you have a right to set certain expectations there, um, smoking, entertainment, and if they can't follow the rules, then they're making it. It's just like you're dealing with your 20-year-old son and your 80-year-old dad all at the same time. Um, same problems. Uh, another problem is sometimes parents create conflict within your own family. Uh, parents who are critical, trying to control you, every decision you make, or you know, the husband makes a decision and her parents start hounding her about whatever that choice was they made financially, career, whatever. Uh, there are situations I've seen very sad where parents are mistreating a spouse, you know, criticizing how she keeps house, criticizing how she cooks, um, criticizing her for not working enough or for working at all, and on and on and it goes. Um, back to Genesis 2.24, mom and dad, I love you, but she's my wife. And we can't spend time with you if you're going to talk about her that way. You need to speak respectfully. And, you know, that these are situations that come. You try to do so gently, but you protect your wife. A lot of conflicts happen in marriages of people, my generation or younger, where the, it's usually the husband doesn't have the guts to stand up for his wife when his parents are being mean to her. And it can be the other way around. I think sometimes it's the wife who has to go to her parents and say, your criticism, da 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 is totally inappropriate. And a lot of what this is going to get down to is what Dave has been talking about, is sometimes there will be consequences. Their bad behavior can limit the relationship. And the worst, I've, I've seen cases where parents have been so angry, hateful, and abusive where you just can't spend time with them. Like you send them a Christmas card and... You hope someday you can see him again. That's the uttermost example. But to protect your family, there may be cases where you say there are limitations on the relationship because of, as a consequence of you mistreating our kids, my spouse. Um, similarly, in the mistreatment of children, um, again, there's a scale here. I'm going to kind of use a 10-point scale that if your parents are doing something, they're driving your baby around without a car seat, and they're drunk and speeding, no way, okay? You can't be with my kid. On the other hand, you said they could have one cookie, the parents gave them two cookies. Okay, you've got a 10, you've got a two, right? And so I think I've seen parents, the parents of the little kids, just out of control angry because... I would, I agree, you should respect the rules of the parents of your grandchildren, but distinguish between that. And actually, a verse that came to my mind is in 1 Corinthians 7, it says, if you're married to an unbeliever, 1 Corinthians says, if you're married to an unbeliever, stay. And it says that there's some sense where your children would be holy. And I think part of the implication of that is that you would think if you stayed married to this unbelieving guy, they'd be a bad influence, but somehow it pleases God that you stay and honor the marriage even though it seems like it would be unholy. I would take that to the parents as well. I think many parents are going to be unbelieving or far less than perfect Christians with things, and I think there's a certain amount of that you can trust God. They're going to be, if you take them to Walmart, they're going to be exposed to stuff you don't want them to see. And so I think there's a certain amount of that you realize that it's not going to be perfect. I would love for my parents just to do exactly things the way I say and follow all of our rules. I remember making my parents take back a video game console. I think my mom probably fought off hordes of people to get the last one in the <laughs> Toys R Us 30 years ago. And thankfully, she's not embittered with it. No, I, my kids can't have that. And uh, I, I might have been wrong about that in hindsight. But you know, your, your parents may 
spoil them or do other things. So there's going to be a certain amount you tolerate for the sake of relationship. I think that's a point to be made. Instead of digging in any violation, you know, boy, you won't see them for a month. Um, but there can be situations that are so extreme, it's going to limit. And it can be, if you don't think your kids are safe with them, then maybe you, will, you just can't be alone with our We can't have them spend the night with you. We can't have them... Uh, spend the day babysit without us there, and that, that maybe it's something you were maybe we're dreaming of being able to get away from your kids for a few hours or a couple days, and you just can't trust your parents. They're in the seven eight zone or something. My opinion would be if they're in that one two three zone, you say, didn't we agree to this? But I wouldn't blast away at that. So those are matters of um, wisdom and discernment. Um, I've already talked kind of about the driving and the independence is that you can't. Another example that comes up is parents who enable sinful siblings, where you've got the sister and she's been divorced four times. She's now living with your parents. She doesn't work. She drinks too much. The parents keep giving her money and paying for her stuff. And you're not even that worried about your inheritance. You're saying, what are they doing? They're just enabling this prodigal. Well, by the way, do you think your parents know that's your opinion already? I don't think you need to say much. They know. It's not in your power. It's, if you draw the little, what can I influence? What can I control? This is outside of that. And it's hard to watch. I cannot, you cannot eliminate all suffering. And it, it may cause you suffering to watch them do this. But there's, that's, you, you can't stop it. Uh, favoritism. You see... They're always spending time with your brother and his family and not with your family. Or they're giving money to this sister and not to you. Or they favor this grandchild over your kids. It's painful. It's frustrating. Sometimes you may want to talk about it. Depending on where they are spiritually, talking can be a great thing. Follow biblical principles of peacemaking and gently go and all that other stuff. Sometimes it's not going to change it. As far as is possible with you, be at peace with all men. It's not always possible. Sometimes you have to live with stuff. Um, I put in there from the peacemaking material what Ken Sandy called the pause principle. I thought it just kind of fit here because you're dealing with these complicated situations. Uh, so you're trying to make peace with your wayward parents. Preparing for peacemaking is uh, be slow to speak, <laughs> quick to listen, slow to anger. You're, you're thinking about, you think before you speak, you plan, you uh, pray. A is affirm relationships. You care about them. Sometimes because you love your parents and you realize they're just not spiritually where they need to be, it's not going to be your dream relationship. And yet you still care about them. I was talking to a friend who was frustrated because his in-laws would let his kids, he wasn't letting them watch horrible things, but this family was very restrictive on what they let their kids watch. And this was kind of one notch over. And it's not wrong for him to confront his in-laws. Whether it's necessary is, is in his own conscience. But I did say one thing you could do is say, you know, I appreciate that you love our kids. I appreciate that you love being around our kids. I appreciate that you want to help us with our kids. I appreciate you've been generous with us. And I really want us to get along and have a great relationship. Rather than how dare you let my kids watch SpongeBob or whatever it is you didn't want them to see. Um, Understand their interests. And this goes a couple of ways. Your Philippians 2 is consider others more important than yourself. One could be just sympathetically, what is it like to be them? And there's all kinds of complexities to that in terms of your mom, lonely with the empty nest, not a very close relationship with your dad, living for the grandkids. You try to understand them sympathetically and caringly. Another would be even understanding where their sin is coming from. James 4, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you is not the source that desires to wage war in your members. You desire, you don't get, so you kill. That what is it they really want that's coming out in this sinful behavior that might give you some insight in how to confront it or avoid stepping on the landmines if they're not believers. Uh, searching for creative solutions. Daniel 1 is a great example of that where Remember, the guard was afraid if Daniel and his friends didn't eat well, that they would be scrawny and it'd be bad for him. So Daniel found a solution that met his concern. You know, we'll eat your stuff if we're scrawny. And 
yet he let him try the other things. So what can we do to make this work rather than it's going to be my way? So how, how can I find a way, or even subtly, rather than making this declaration, we will never again let you be alone with our kids, you just kind of arrange things in a way that you're there and see how it goes. Uh, evaluating object, options objectively, similarly, is just you know, being open to different ways than what you may have thought is ideal. Um, so I've already said, understanding the root of their sin, praying for God to give you wisdom. I've already told you, you know, distinguishing between a two and a 10 in terms of confrontation. And if your parents aren't believers, or they're very immature unbelievers, I mean, very immature believers, or you're just not sure, it's just like with your grown kid, you're gonna expect less, right? What can you expect? It's like a person married to an unbeliever. Um, you're going to expect to put up with some stuff that you wouldn't ideally put up with. And then sometimes even the believers surprise you uh, in a negative way. You choose how to confront them. A uh, gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. Uh, you choose when and how, like apples of gold and settings of silver, is a word spoken in the right circumstances. If you are frustrated and it just happened, it is probably not the time to confront, right? Calm down, pray, talk to your spouse. Uh, they can help you calm down sometimes. And what's the wisest way to do this? Seek counsel from others when you're kind of stuck. Caroline and I have done that on various issues. Um, but yeah, sometimes sin will have consequences. Sometimes you will have to, to some extent, let go. I've, I've, I've had cases where I've talked to people and it was so bad. They would say, you know, when we come into the house, my father is so mean to our children. We have to, sometimes just you have to get up and leave. Sometimes you have to say, unless you can agree to, you know, we're not expecting perfection, but so many lines are being crossed here. We can't spend time with you unless it gets better. We love you. You, you want to do everything you can. We want this to work, uh, but there can be really difficult choices. And part of it is uh, we can, it'd be nice if you just could kind of plug in a formula and say, okay, We've now gone from five to six, so now this is exactly what I do. You're just begging God to give you wisdom because it's, it's rarely that clear cut. You're making some, some challenging choices exactly how you deal with things. But so far as you're able, it's never that you want to break the relationship entirely. Do what you can. And I've, I've known of people where they've been shut out, but they, you, know, you try to call, you try to send the cards, send the letter, send the flowers, remember the Mother's and the Father's Day, whatever it may be. You make efforts to show love to them in the realm that you can and not to let your heart be embittered to pull away just because sometimes when people are hurting you, you, and, and I think Dave addressed this very well, is that it's just so painful you want to get away, but that's not what the Bible would have you do. You keep trying to love, you keep trying to care uh, without endangering your family or dishonoring the Lord. So what I'll talk about in the morning is we live in more of a post-Christian world. There's going to be more problems with this. Um, there's going to be more difficulties with family members who aren't walking with the Lord. But I'm thankful that the Bible addresses even questions like this that may have seemed a bit obscure when we started. I'm also thankful that our security is in the Lord and not in people. The very famous Jeremiah 29, you know, if you trust in men, you're like the bush in the desert. If you trust in God, you're like the tree planted by the rivers of water. I love Psalm 27, verse 10, which I already quoted. Even if my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord is there. And so if you have a very difficult and sad relationship with your parents, or maybe they're gone now and you can't repair anything. And, you know, I've had loved ones pass away, not knowing the Lord, relationship not great. There's no ending of the pain of that entirely, but there's comfort in the grace of God and the fact that we are loved by Him and that makes up for the lacking of our parents. And then those of us who have good relationships, this, hearing me talk about this, you should be so thankful to God, shouldn't you? Uh, does anybody have any questions since I haven't totally run out the, my time yet? Ms. Jack. What do you mean? Well, like uh, somebody who uh, depends on mama. I think there's a, I think there's a little mini book that maybe Wayne Mack on in-laws. 
but I'm not sure if that would deal with that very particular thing you're describing. I can't think of it. I'm interested in like writing a mini book on this because I don't know anything I could give to people right now. Yes. That's kind of what I was describing, is that you can say that you're about to wreck the train. You're gambling, you're drinking, et cetera. And I think there can be circumstances where you say you are so, just like letting go of an adult child who is a drunken sluggard, you can say, I'm sorry, but you would not listen to us. You're not repentant. You're on your own. But like an adult child, if they repent, not just saying, I have a right to be supported because I'm your parent, and you need to give me money because I can't stand to go a day without alcohol. I say, I'm sorry, you're on your own. There are shelters. What if it's not necessarily like that, but it's just having lived a life of just not being responsible? Yeah, that's the more common thing. Right, like that. Then there's a limit of what I can do. Mm-hmm. I can't torch my kids' future and education for your irresponsibility, but I can't let you starve. And some of it depends on the capacity God has given you. Sadly, in my opinion, you can't entirely invoke justice and just say, you're going to find yourself in a position where you'll be doing things you thought you wouldn't do, but you don't want to do so much you destroy your own family as you do so. But you, you can't, there'll be situations where you'll find yourself doing some, and I would just minimize, but it, every, and part of that too is that if you were to meet with somebody to get counsel about this, you would want to lay out, I'm giving a, it was like Dr. Laura on the radio. She's been two minutes hearing somebody's problem and have a definitive answer. I would need two hours worth of data before I would be sure I was giving you exactly the right answer in this situation. But in general, there's a spectrum of, situ- of responses. And doing absolutely nothing is an unlikely response as much as you think that would be fair. I get this asked all the time from counselees who had very abusive uh, father or mother or both. And the part where you tell them to honor and respect their parents, is there a way to give them practical, make that practical for them? Because it is difficult for them to imagine them respecting and honoring someone who's evil. I mean, it's easier to tell them to love, love your enemy, mm-hmm. but to try and tell them to respect and honor someone that's so evil. How, how would you feel yeah. about doing that? It would help to have a full color picture instead of a stick figure picture of the situation you're describing to do a better job. But I think, I think I would go through in terms of how would God have me show honor to this person, not that they're honorable, but that they are my parent. And that could be, I pray for you. I care about you. You have a kind word. But their wickedness, especially if they're not repentant over it, is going to limit the relationship. And that's something I, I went over pretty fast. There may be a time when you go to them, you confront them, And if they don't repent, there's going to be distance between you. It doesn't have to be infinite distance, but it might be very limited contact because they are wicked and unrepentant, and being around them is destructive for you and your family. Mm -hmm. But you can still, you've done more to God than they've done to you, and God forgave you, and so you still want to have a heart of grace towards them. You think of the prodigal son who's basically said, I wish you were dead so I could take all your stuff and have it and live a wild life. He still was hoping there would be, you know, the father still had the grace in the end to receive him. And so I think sometimes I picture you're like the father, the prodigal son, hoping you'll see him coming down the road repentant. So you're not embittered, but he's not going to be able to come home if he's not repentant. So there's going to be distance unless there is repentance. Yes. Does order fall under the category of can't control? Huh? Does the order? Yes, it can. Yeah, yeah. So you can tell them that, yeah. and you can offer to help them with that. And I mean, there are extreme cases where you can get court orders against people who are mentally incompetent and take over their stuff. But the other siblings, are, we're not all in agreement. Right. So that's, that seems like you do what you can, and then you leave it to the Lord, realizing bad things are going to happen in a fallen world that you can't stop those bad things. And then... 
as far as is possible to you to be at peace with all men. And if you can't with your siblings and your parents come to what you think is a righteous solution, you've done what you can, your conscience is clear before God, and then the outcome is in God's hands. It's still hard to watch. Let me pray and let you guys go. Father in heaven, what a blessing it is to call you our Father and that you love us perfectly and being so loved even when our parents fail us, you are enough. Lord, give comfort to those today who have been hurt. Give wisdom to those who are in quandaries. I thank you that your word does address these things for us in helpful ways and help us to honor our parents even as adults as we should. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2018 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available on our app and at ibcd.org.